Episode 1, Nobody is Above the Law, is an audio drama set in the early 1980s. Billionaire Mayor Bart, a corrupt and somewhat ludicrous politician, is up for re-election. He hopes to win re-election by a huge margin as a stepping stone to a presidential run. Camille Collins is a psychotherapist whose fairly ordinary life is thrown into disarray when one of her patients is murdered. Camille doesn't accept the official police version that this was the work of the notorious masked bandit and decides to do some sleuthing. Scene 1. Friends Mona and Kim are in a coffee shop. There's a wall-mounted TV. In related news, former First Lady Rosalind Carter is urging President Reagan to provide more funding to help the mentally ill. Can you believe this shit? Just what we need. She wants to give away taxpayer money to sickos, weirdos, and perverts. Get a clue, Rosalind, you stupid bitch. Wow, another thoughtful citizen heard from. And you think democracy is really the best form of government? I see your point, Kim. But even if occasionally a demagogue can be elected president... Over the long haul, a democracy is self-correcting. Uh, yeah, at least in theory. Let's talk about something else. Okay, okay. On a lighter note, are things any better with you and Martin? No, even worse. Our relationship is basically on life support. Oh. So, why are you smiling? You seem like you're in an exceptionally good mood. I had a date with someone new last night. Oh, well, come on. Details? Dinner and a movie? No, it was an unusual first date for me. Dinner at that Turkish restaurant, and then we went back to his place. Come on, I want details. Oh, the couscous there is superb. Mona, very, very funny. Don't make me drag (laughs) it out of you. All right, I slept with him. How did that happen? Don't worry. Don't worry. It was consensual. I didn't have to force him. (laughs) Hey, it's Mayor Bart. Turn that TV up. Because of my leadership, crime in our fair city has been way, way down. Why, my policy should be a model for the entire nation. And remember, my friends, my 11th and 12th commandments. My 11th commandment is nobody is above the law. My 12th, be mindful. (laughs) Keeping that in mind, friends, with your help, I will be re-elected this election day. Oh no, Mona, I think you may have violated commandment number 12. I'm pretty sure that sleeping with someone on the first date is not mindful. Well, you're probably right, but at least what I did last night was legal... So it was in full compliance with number 11. You're totally right. (laughs) Do you think Mayor Bart will be re-elected? Oh, I've got therapy at two. I'll call you tonight and tell you all about last night. Yeah, I want all that juicy details. Scene two. Therapy session in which Mona complains about her boyfriend, Martin. Her therapist, Camille actually has some of the same issues in her relationship with Tom. You look well. You are glowing today. Is it that obvious? I had a date with someone new last night. 
We had a fantastic time. I slept with him. I'm starting to find Martin really stifling. He's such a limited person. Uh, slow down. We'll get to Martin later. Tell me about this new person. He's the opposite of Martin. I found him so physically attractive. I surprised myself at how much he fascinated me, and even fantasized about what it might be like to be married to him. But it was just one date, and... Yes? There were definitely some major red flags. Hmm. What kind of red flags? The biggest is that he isn't as politically progressive as I am. Well, that isn't a deal-breaker. I know of harmonious, loving marriages where the wife is a liberal and the husband is right-wing. The key is simply to avoid talking about politics. You realize that you haven't told me his name. Actually, he asked me to promise I wouldn't tell anybody that we were dating or that I slept with him. His parents are very old-fashioned. I don't understand. His parents would disapprove of his having sex? Well, not exactly. It's because of who I am. Remember, the Daily Beastie has called me a demented man-hater because of my YouTube videos on judo for women? And I once said on TV, if a man won't take no for an answer, you can make him regret his decision for the rest of his life. Mm, this still doesn't make sense. He's a grown man, and he's so afraid of what his parents might think? Well, okay. I haven't told you everything about his situation. His parents are giving him half the money to buy an apartment. The closing is in one week, and he doesn't want to jeopardize that. This seems complicated. You think there is something wrong? No, I... I just want you to consider that maybe you're rushing into a serious relationship with this new man as a rebound from Martin. Oh, come on. It was just one date. It's not as if I'm going to marry him. You did say you had fantasies about being married to him. We have to stop soon. Let's... let's get back to Martin. Part of your attraction to Martin has been how solid he is. You even found it endearing that he was so predictable. <laughs> predictable? More like ossified. Sex with him has become boring. And, oh, how about this? Every single time we have Chinese food, he orders the same thing. Chicken with broccoli, with brown sauce on the side. He'll never try anything else. If he's like this at 29... What will he be like when he's 50? Oh, I think he knows that I'm cooling toward him. He's been getting abusive to me lately. Physically? No. Verbally abusive. He wouldn't dare get violent with me. Remember your father was very sarcastic and verbally abusive towards both you and your mother. I think we need to look at your relationship with Martin in light of that. We can explore that next time. Scene 3. Later that evening, Camille's boyfriend Tom has come over. Ugh, maybe they should have gotten someone else to fill in for past Ajak while he recovers from his surgery. 
Vanna White was so stiff and robotic last night. Oh, let's watch Wheel of Fortune again tonight. It should be interesting to see if Vanna improves. She was probably just nervous. I bet she does much better tonight. Oh, it was more than nervousness. The way that she related to the contestants seemed so phony. Would it kill her to at least pretend to be sincere? <laughs> I'm gonna call for takeout. Uh, what do you want? I'm just gonna have my usual. I'm not very hungry. Just a large wonton soup. One large wonton soup in an order of chicken with broccoli. With brown sauce on the side. <laughs> you have some similar tendencies as the boyfriend of one of my patients. I thought you weren't allowed to discuss your patients. I'm willing to make an exception this one time. Well, I usually don't allow exceptions, but I will this one time. How am I similar to whatever his name is? <laughs> you both have an annoying habit of always ordering chicken with broccoli, with brown sauce on the side. Oh, ouch. I didn't realize you find this so appalling. Tom turns on the TV. Oh, no. Here's that Mayor Bar campaign ad. Hello, friends. Our great city needs me as mayor for another four years. Now, you all know I have been a success at everything I have ever done. My first big win came with my chain of mindful body fitness gyms. And in our gyms, we use a holistic approach that combines strenuous aerobic exercise with chanting and religious music as a way of binding endorphins to the sacred and thus protecting you from the wiles of Satan. And although my opponent is more than likely a closet atheist, I am not going to use that against him. No, my friends, instead, my campaign is based on what I call, and we all know, as the 11th and 12th commandments. Now, the 11th is that no one is above the law. And the 12th is be mindful. Now, the meaning of the 11th is pretty clear. For example, I will demand long prison sentences for human scum, like pedophiles or like greedy, price-gouging drug company executives. They are two sides of the same poisonous coin, my friends, preying on defenseless victims like you and me. And now, my twelfth, with regard to mindfulness, if you phone this number right now, you can receive my free instructional audio tapes that teach you deep breathing exercises, and these exercises, if done properly, can put you on a glide path for achieving righteous nowness. I'm Mayor Bart. Please, this election day, vote for me. Wow! Isn't he just too ridiculous to win? Ugh, don't be so naive. Being ridiculous is not disqualifying. Sometimes the key to winning an election is to be ridiculous by just the right amount. I'm afraid you're right. Scene 4 Three weeks before the election, several days later, we see a man and Mona at her apartment. There are two nearly empty glasses of wine on a coffee table. Mona will show this man some defensive techniques to use against a mugger. Could you handle a really strong mugger who grabbed you from behind? Of course. Would you show me in slow motion? Let's move over here so I don't hurt you. I promise I will stop just before the crucial final move. He grabs her from behind around the neck, and she shows him how she would counter that. Huh, I'm not sure that would work. I wasn't really using my full strength. He is really into it. What if I did this? No problem. I could just do this. 
Let's move the coffee table out of the way so we can get more serious. The man wants to show her who's boss. Eventually, he uses a technique to overpower and flip her backwards. She falls, smashes her head against the coffee table. Mona? Mona? Can you hear me? Oh, God. He realizes she is dead. He is really shaken, but is composed enough to put the wine glasses and plates in the dishwasher and remove any traces of there having been a guest. Then he opens drawers and takes some jewelry and also rips off her shirt and bra to make it look like a robbery or attempted rape and then sneaks out of her apartment. Scene 5. The cleaning woman finds Mona's dead body and screams. Ah! Scene 6. The police investigate Mona's death and think that she was probably killed during a robbery and attempted rape gone bad. Scene 7. TV statement. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Now... I don't want to stand here in front of you today. I take no joy that Mona Malone has been murdered. I vow that we will find her killer and ask, no, demand for the death penalty. The law must be applied without bias. As we all know, nobody is above the law. Even a violent feminazi like Mona Malone is entitled to justice. Now all the evidence points to an intruder who intended to rob and then to rape poor Mona. And as Mona resisted, attempting to make him regret his action for the rest of his life, folks, do not attempt to use violence. Leave that to the police, and please be careful about who you ride up in the elevator with. Now. The police chief will fill you in on all the details. Thank you for coming. Chief? Thank you, and good afternoon. Well, I can't get into too many specifics, but we believe that this was the handiwork of the same perpetrator, the so-called masked bandit who robbed two elderly women last month in their apartments. In both of those cases, when he rode up with the women in the elevator, he kept his back to the women and then suddenly put on a mask and pulled out a gun to get them to let him into their apartments. Although he took money and lots of their valuables, he made no attempt to rape them. It looks like this time the masked bandit got more ambitious. Scene 8 Next day in Camille's apartment. Wasn't Mona Malone one of your patients? Yes. Oh, God, this is horrible. I just saw Mona three days ago and she was considering breaking up with her boyfriend. Do you think he killed her? Well, from what Mona has said about him, he, he doesn't seem like the type. He seems mild-mannered and not at all aggressive. I don't agree with that logic. Anyone is capable of killing in a fit of rage, especially the mild-mannered type. Well, the police think it was an attempted burglary and rape gone bad. Ugh, God, Tom, I, I really don't want to talk about this now. Let's watch something escapist. Funny. 
and even a bit mind-numbing? Well, if you want truly mind-numbing, you can't do better than the Brady Bunch. It's got it all. It's slow-moving, it's wholesome, and also very reassuring about the fixedness of gender roles. <laughs> You're a real wit, Tom. That show sounds awful. Let's try Mork and Mindy. That new comedian Robin Williams is supposed to be hilarious. Scene 9. Next day, two policemen, Sergeant Miller and Officer Barnes, question Camille, Mona's psychotherapist, in her apartment office. One of the policemen, named Sergeant Miller, is wearing an obvious toupee. Hello, Miss Crane. I'm Sergeant Miller, and this is Officer Barnes. Hmm. Please call me Dr. Crane. Oh, my mistake. Hmm. We're here about the murder of Mona Malone. We're speaking to her contacts, and you were her shrink. Oh, yes. How can I help? I've been really upset by her murder. Well, the mayor has said that all the evidence points to an intruder. But Officer Barnes and I are part of a special task force to look into other possibilities. We're not ready to eliminate the possibility that Mona was murdered by someone she knew. Like maybe a disgruntled boyfriend. Martin Morgan, her long-term boyfriend, has already been questioned. Was Mona seeing anyone else? Well, Mona had just started seeing someone new, but she wouldn't tell me his name. Even if I knew his name, I'm not sure that I would be permitted to tell you because of patient confidentiality. Dr. Crane, Mona is dead, and this is a murder investigation. Don't you want her killer caught? Now what can you tell us about this new person Mona was seeing? She really liked him. Did she say what he did for a living? Where he lived? No. Anything about what he looked like? Any sort of physical description? No. Just that he was very physically attractive. She was really into him. Hmm. Was he into her? Mm. Was he banging her? Uh, uh, that is a very inappropriate thing to say. I thought the police department was requiring sensitivity training sessions. Please excuse Officer Barnes' crudeness. He's a new recruit and still a little rough around the edges. Officers like him give the police a bad name. I recommend that he receive sensitivity training as soon as possible. Okay, okay, calm down. Let's get back on track. Is there anyone Mona might have confided in, like a good friend? She has a friend from the U2 movement, um, Heidi Grant. And her best friend, Kim Carter, lives upstairs in apartment 4B. Mona might have told one of them who her new boyfriend was. Anything else? I have a patient who will be arriving any moment. Okay, we won't take any more of your time. <laughs> I don't want to be charged for this session. But seriously, we might need to question you again. So here's my card. If you think of anything that might be helpful, don't hesitate to call, even at night. Scene 10. The next day, Heidi Grant's apartment. Hello, Miss Grant. I'm Sergeant Miller, and this is Officer Barnes. Can we come in? God damn it! If this is about the back rent, I told that fucker I'd pay part of it next week. Relax. This is about the murder of Mona Malone. <sighs> you call that relaxing? That was so horrible. You know, M Mona and I had our disagreements, but I'm still very upset about her murder. You were pretty good friends with Mona. Non-committal about being called a good friend, Heidi is somewhat embittered. I, I worked with her in the U2 movement. 
We have information that she started dating someone new. Did she happen to mention that to you? Yes, she did. I couldn't understand why she wanted to ditch Martin. I know she found him a little dull, but he seemed like a really considerate guy with a good job. Lots of women wouldn't mind having a boyfriend like that. Let's get back to this new boyfriend. What did she say his name was? She wouldn't tell me his name. Well, we need to find who this new boyfriend was so that we can interview him. Is there anything she might have told you that can help identify him? His job, where he lives, his physical appearance, any friends of his that she might have mentioned? (sighs) All she told me was that she started seeing someone new and that she really liked him. But she did also say there were some red flags, so she wanted to take things slowly. What kind of red flags? (sighs) She didn't give me any details. Miss Grant, this is a murder investigation. Any little thing you remember might help us. I hope that you're not hiding something from us. Yeah, you could wind up in prison for withholding evidence. Prison can be pretty unpleasant for a pretty woman like you. Unless you're into that kind of stuff. Ew! How dare you! I am not hiding anything and I resent being threatened like I'm the criminal. You know, it is heavy-handed policemen like him that give the police a bad reputation. I have told you what I know. Please leave now. Please excuse Officer Barnes. He's new on the job. Here's my card. If something else occurs to you, don't hesitate to call. As they are out the door. And good luck with your landlord. (laughs) Why the fuck did you piss her off? You need to be more tactful. And what's with wishing her good luck with a landlord? Come on, I was just trying to make amends and show her that we're on her side. Do you think she was hiding something? I don't think so. We'll interview the therapist's upstairs neighbor next. Scene 11. Later that day at Kim Carter's apartment. All right, I'll do all the talking this time. Watch how I'll start by establishing a friendly rapport with Kim. Personal touch goes a long way in getting a witness to be cooperative. You don't want me to do any of the questioning this time? Yeah, that's right. Watch and learn. Miller knocks on the door. I'm Sergeant Miller, and this is Officer Barnes. Can we take a few minutes of your time? Okay, uh, please, come in. Oh, you have a beautiful apartment. Thank you. Not such an interesting painting over your sofa. What's that painter's name? Jackson Pollock. What a clever pattern it has. This Jackson guy must be a real genius. Uh, lots of people don't think much of his work. Maybe partly because of how he lived his life. One of his nicknames is Jack the Dripper. Uh, Isn't it funny how some geniuses turn to a life of crime? Uh, Still, this painting is a bold choice by you, the way it ties your living room together. You got a real flair for decorating. Oh, brother. Thank you, Uh, but I don't suppose you're here to discuss my decorating abilities. Is this about Mono Malone? Yes. I'm still in shock over her murder. I hope that you can find her killer. Is there any way that I can help? Yeah, I'll get straight to the point. We learned that Mona had just started dating someone new. Did Mona tell you anything about a new man she started dating? Yes, she did. She said he was really sweet and she liked him a lot. It's important that you tell us his name. We'd like to interview him. We need to follow all possible leads. Is he a suspect? Gosh, it's really improbable that he had anything to do with her death. 
They really hit it off. You familiar with what Sherlock Holmes said about the improbable? And I quote, Once you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, no matter how improbable, must be the truth. Detective, you are impressively well-read. Well, thank you, but let's put literature and metaphysics aside, because we really need some basic facts here. Did Mona tell you the name of this new boyfriend? Yeah, she did, but I feel uncomfortable revealing that. Mona made me swear I wouldn't tell anyone who he was. She said that I was the only person she told. I'm a little afraid to say who he is. Miss Carter, Mona is dead. She can't hold you to your promise. <sighs> That's not why I'm afraid. Look, this is a police investigation. You could go to prison for withholding pertinent information. His name! Okay. His name is Stefan Bart, and he's Mayor Bart's son. Holy crap, the mayor's son! Mayor Bart is not gonna like this. This is gonna be tricky. Have you told anyone else? No, like I said, Mona swore me to secrecy. Okay, tell no one. We gotta figure this out. Mayor Bart doesn't like bad news, especially if it affects his election prospects. He can be... Very vindictive. You're scaring me even more. I've heard how ruthless he can be. Will he learn that I'm the one who told you about his son? Don't worry. Mayor Bart won't find out who told us about Stefan. You got my word. Now, here's my card for my secure phone line. If there's anything you want to discuss, call me anytime. Okay. Uh, thank you, Officer Miller. Scene 12. Interesting news article based on a leaked observation from one of the crime scene investigators. There were two wine glasses in the dishwasher along with the other dirty dishes, raising the possibility that Mona knew her killer. A shock jock radio host said there was another interpretation of the two wine glasses, that her killer was a stranger who was a hopeless romantic and wanted to create an intimate ambiance before raping and then killing her. Scene 13 Two weeks before the election, Mayor Bart's office. Stefan enters. Close the door. Stefan, this is Lenny Logan. Lenny's an old friend and an early investor in my fitness gyms. Yeah, I know. I met Lenny at the grand opening of one of your gyms. Yeah, I remember. It was the one in Oakdale. You made a big fuss about making sure that the raisins that we provided were organic. Yeah, thank you for that. You're right on both counts, Lenny. Okay. That's enough chit-chat. Oh, is this about Mona again? Yes. You really fucked up. If it comes out that you killed Mona, that would sink my re-election campaign. Even if it becomes known that you were dating her, that would be bad because of how much my base hated her and her YouTube videos. Ugh, as I told you last time, nobody saw us together the night that I accidentally killed her. Okay. We won't go over that night again. On your first date with Mona when you went out to eat at that Turkish restaurant, might someone there have recognized the two of you together? Uh, I really doubt it. It was dark, and she didn't look anything like she does in her U2 videos. Now she was wearing a nice dress instead of her judo outfit, and her hair was down. Oh, she looked fantastic. So sexy. I can't believe it. Your son is still thinking with his dick. Okay, why don't you shut the fuck up? Oh yeah, why don't you come over here and make me, huh? Okay, both of you. Let's stay focused. Stefan, you're still certain that nobody knew you were dating Mona? Yes, I am. I was very careful. I'm well aware of what your base thinks of Mona and her U2 videos. 
Okay, Stefan. That's all for now. Scene 14. Lenny remains in Bart's office. You didn't want to tell Stefan that we found out that Kim Carter knows that Stefan was dating Mona? No. It's much better if Stefan doesn't know. He's still naive about how things work in the real world. What was he thinking? Getting involved with Mona. He could ruin everything you worked so hard for. He's some piece of work, that guy. Well, I'm glad that Stefan came to me right away for help after he killed Mona. We can handle this, and you better stop bad-mouthing my son. Okay, okay, sorry. So, what's the plan? Scene 15. Next evening, Kim is walking home at night. Kim is not aware that a car is slowly following her. Then she realizes that someone is following her on foot, and she decides to cross the street. As she is crossing, the car from behind speeds up and deliberately plows into her. She hits the ground with a loud thud. There is a man walking his dog who has curiously watched everything. He doesn't approach Kim to see if she's alive. He looks around and sneaks off. Who killed Kim? When Camille tries to find out, she soon realizes that there might be orders to kill her too. Look out for Episode 2, coming soon.